Chapter 13 of The Story of My Life and Work. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrew Kennedy. The Story of My Life and Work by Booker T. Washington. Chapter 13 Urged for a Cabinet Position. Soon after the election of Major McKinley to the office of President in 1896, the Washington Post, to the surprise of nearly everybody, came out with a strong editorial urging the President-elect to give me a place in his cabinet. The name of the late Honorable B. K. Bruce was also suggested in the same connection. This editorial created quite a journalistic discussion which extended to all parts of the country. I give a few extracts from newspapers that may indicate the character of this discussion. The Washington Post, which I think was the first paper to discuss the propriety of my selection as a cabinet officer, opened the discussion with the following article. There is one problem which Mr. McKinley, if he be a just and grateful man, as we think he is, will have to consider, and consider very seriously. We have in mind the problem of what the Republican Party proposes to do by way of recognizing its obligation to the colored voter. That party has owed much to the loyal and unselfish devotion of the race in times gone by, but never so much as in the campaign which it has conducted to a triumphant conclusion. What now will Mr. McKinley do to testify his gratitude? At every stage of his personal fight, Mr. McKinley has been indebted to the Negro. It was the Negro contingent at St. Louis that made his nomination certain. It was the Negro's firm stand for gold that forced the sound money issue upon the convention. It was the Negro's vote in such states as Maryland, West Virginia, Kentucky, Ohio, Delaware, and Indiana that made his victory possible. We all know now that McKinley would have had next to no chance at all had not the St. Louis Convention declared emphatically and unequivocally for the gold standard. As between a simple declaration for tariff revision on the one hand and for free silver coinage without tariff disturbances on the other, the great eastern and middle states would have had but a languid choice. It was the solid, sound money front presented by the colored delegates that compelled the adoption of the gold clause in the platform, and furnished Mr. McKinley with the issue upon which he rallied to his banner the merchants, the manufacturers, and the moneyed corporations throughout the land. Mr. McKinley could not have been elected, but by the course pursued by the Negroes before, during and after the assembling of the St. Louis Convention. Now, in what fashion does he intend to recognize and reward their service? It seems to us that at least one cabinet position should be given to the race. Let us say the portfolio of agriculture, for example. There are many colored men of notable attainments, of large experience in public life, 
and of the highest personal character, eminently qualified to discharge the duties of this office with credit to the administration and honor to themselves. We might name such men as Honorable B.K. Bruce and Professor Booker T. Washington. Mr. Bruce has been a Senator of the United States, and it may be truly said of him that in that capacity he won the respect and esteem of all his colleagues and served his country with distinction. He also served a term as Register of the Treasury and another as Recorder of Deeds under the District Government, always with notable ability. Professor Washington is universally recognized as one of the foremost educators in the country. The institute over which he presides at Tuskegee, Alabama, has become conspicuous under his management and is today ranked with the most useful and admirable of our seats of learning. The appointment of either of these gentlemen to the control of one of the executive departments would be a graceful acknowledgement of the obligations which the Republican Party has incurred and which we should think it would be anxious to discharge. We do not limit Mr. McKinley to these two. There are many other colored men abundantly fitted for a cabinet position. It happens simply that ex-Senator Bruce and Professor Washington occurred to us first in running over the list of eligibles. Returning to the abstract proposition, however, it is clear to us that Mr. McKinley owes his election first to the fidelity and wise foresight of the colored delegates at St. Louis and secondly to the loyal support of the colored voters in half a dozen states necessary to his election, which could not possibly have been carried for him without their aid. He is under obligations, which, as a man of feeling, he cannot well ignore, and which he could most feliciously acknowledge by asking some truly representative Negro to enter his official family. The Canton, Ohio Repository, after discussing in a long article a number of men, white and black, suitable for cabinet material, concluded as follows. Another able man is Professor Booker T. Washington, the head of the Tuskegee Normal School of Alabama. Mr. Washington has been spoken of for Secretary of Agriculture under the new administration and is one of the foremost leaders of the colored race in this country and a pioneer of the industrial and educational development of his people. He is one of the younger leaders of the colored people and fully understands their needs and hopes. His address at the opening of the Atlanta Exposition has been favorably commented upon by all classes of people. He is the originator of the Normal College and his doing a great work in the South. There were other articles of similar character in other papers at the time, and still others, of course, that opposed vigorously the idea of placing a Negro in the cabinet of the President of the United States. In a speech delivered to the colored citizens of Boston, Mass., soon after this discussion began, I openly declared that under no circumstances would I accept a political appointment that would result in my turning aside from the work which I had begun at Tuskegee. 
In the spring of 1897, I was invited by Dr. Francis J. Grimke, pastor of the 15th Cent Presbyterian Church, Washington, D.C., to deliver an address in his church. My subject on this occasion was the things in hand. It was just after President McKinley had been inaugurated as president. Washington was full of people from all over the country, and among them not a few colored people seeking office. At this meeting, I urged as strongly as I could that the colored people should cease depending so much on office and give more attention to industrial or business enterprises. This created a wide discussion among the colored people, especially among those who were in Washington seeking office. I have always held that the Negro has the same right to aspire to political or appointive offices as the white man has, but in our present condition we will be more sure of laying a foundation that will result in permanent political recognition in the future by giving attention at the present time in a very large measure to education, business, and industry than merely by seeking political office. I would have the Negro give up no right guaranteed to him by the Constitution of the United States, but I am also convinced that the way for him to secure the opportunity to exercise his rights guaranteed to him by the Constitution is to make himself the most useful and independent citizen in his community. In certain quarters, for a number of years, a certain element of our people have opposed my plan for the elevation of the Negroes, on the ground that they have felt that I was not in favor of the Negro receiving a college education. This is an error. I do not oppose college education for our people, but I do urge that a larger percentage of our young men and women, whether educated in college or not, give the strength of their education in the direction of commercial or industrial development, just the same as the white man does. I have tried to show my approval of college education by giving as many college men as possible employment and have on our payroll at Tuskegee constantly from 15 to 25 men and women who have been educated at the leading colleges throughout the country. The best way to approve of college education is to give those educated at college something to do. The great need for the next 50 or 100 years among our people will be the sending out among them of men and women thoroughly equipped with academic and religious training together with industrial or hand training, so that they can lead the masses to a betterment of their present industrial and material condition. The young white man who graduates at college, in nine cases out of ten, finds a business waiting for him that he can enter into as soon as he gets his college diploma. This business has been created by his father, grandfather or great-grandfather years before, but the black boy graduating from college finds no business waiting for him. He must start a business for himself. Therefore, it is important 
in our present condition that the negro be so educated along technical and industrial lines that he can found a business for himself in the matter of technical or industrial education the blacks are not keeping up with the whites every state has technical schools for white boys and girls and we cannot expect to retain our hold on the industries of the south unless we give special attention to preparing ourselves for doing the best work in too many cases the negro carpenter the negro blacksmith the negro contractor and laundrywomen are being replaced by white people who have come into the south from the north we can only retain our hold upon the industries of the south by putting into the field men and women of the highest intelligence and skill we must learn to do the tasks about our door in a thorough manner to do a common thing in an uncommon manner to be sure that nobody else can improve on our work end of chapter thirteen